hope that's your heart and that's your decision that uh, no matter where he leads me, uh, we were hearing at uh, the dining room table recently, um, it says, where the, where the Lord leads me, I will follow. What the Lord feeds me, I will swallow. Uh, so, <laughs> if you've ever heard that before, but uh, um, so if it's something you like, and if it's something you don't like, uh, you're going to put it in your mouth and eat it anyway. Um, but the same thing is true in our own lives. Uh, the things that we like to have in our lives, those we can, we don't mind. But the things that we don't like, we're still going to follow. We're still going to be faithful. Um, and that song is an encouragement along those lines. All right, First uh, Kings chapter number twenty-one is where we stopped last time, and uh, I didn't get through the whole message, but that's quite all right. Um, we have tonight to uh, finish it up. Um, the title of the message is "Not for Sale," and uh, we were in Second or First Kings chapter twenty-one as we looked at. Uh, the vineyard of Naboth, and uh, how Ahab wanted that vineyard, and Naboth said, not for sale. Uh, that's in the Hebrew. Uh, he basically said, you know, uh, no can do, uh, no deal, all right? And uh, let's pick it up here just to kind of bring us back up to speed. I'll do a little review, and then we'll hit the last couple of thoughts here that I really wanted to get to. Um, verse number one says, And it came to pass after these things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel, hard by the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house, and I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it. Or if it seem good unto thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. And Naboth said unto Ahab, The Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. Well, and Ahab came into his house heavy, displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him, for he said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid him down upon his bed and turned away his face and would eat no bread. And uh, that's kind of where Jezebel finds him in verse number five and says, what is going on? You won't even eat bread. Uh, you have no appetite. Um, and it's because of Ahab's selfishness there. And uh, we talked about uh, last time that uh, for those who have had garage sales, people come and they see something in the garage that's not for sale, and they're like, how much is that? And you're like, it's not for sale. Uh, you can have everything else here that we have listed, but that part is not for sale. Um, I think we, uh, we had that happen to us once. We had a ping pong table back in California, and we used that as a... Uh, like a display table for all the things that we were selling. And so somebody was like, hey, how much for the ping pong table? And we're like, not for sale. There are some things that are just not for sale. And um, in, in, in our home, we love ping pong. And uh, we actually had one in Montana that we had, we had the ability to set this up in the great room downstairs. And we did have it in there during the wintertime. And so we would bring the ping pong downstairs and, or inside, and we would play tournaments, family tournaments. It was great. But when we were moving here, we're like, yeah, that's not making the move. We just, eh. you know what? And so we gave it. We didn't sell it. Now, mind you, we did not sell it. We gave it to uh, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law there in Montana. And so they set it up in their basement and enjoyed it quite a bit. 
Well, not for sale. And, and so in this whole passage, and, and again, just to bring us back up to speed, I just want to cover very quickly the, the first three thoughts here. Uh, first, we talked about in this passage that there are things worth dying for. And Naboth, for those who were not here, may not know that Naboth actually ended up dying uh, because he would not sell this uh, land. And, and I imagine he knew that that was a definite possibility. I, I just can't help but think that Naboth knew that because of the character of Ahab and particularly the character of his wife Jezebel, uh, knowing that if he said no to the king, then that would maybe be off with his head. And yet he, he stayed true to uh, the Lord's command uh, in Leviticus and Numbers and Ezekiel to that, look, that's, that, that land that you are given is not for you to sell. It is for you to keep and pass on to your uh, kinsmen and, and to those that come behind you. Um, and uh, we talked about how there are some things in our lives that are worth dying for. Um, I, obviously, we, we don't want to die. I mean, that's kind of a natural God-given thing. But there are some things that we need to be willing to uh, die for. Um, and I read the illustration here about, uh, about Polycarp and how he was willing to stand up for, for Christ. And uh, he was not willing to deny the Lord just so that he could have his life. Um, our physical life is absolutely important, but it's not, this is going to sound weird, but it's not the most important thing. Um, I, I mean, it is important. Uh, certainly, we should uh, continue to desire to live and to serve the Lord and to reach people for Christ while we have our being. But uh, Paul said, look, for me, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He said, look, if, if the Lord wants to take my physical life, that's okay, because I'm looking forward to uh, my eternity in glory. Um, and there are some things worth dying for. Um, but there's also some things worth living for, too, and Christ is one of them. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.15, and that he died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. So Naboth was willing to uh, die in order to be obedient to the Lord. Are we? that committed to being obedient to the Lord? I mean, Naboth could have said, okay, well, this is getting a little extreme. I mean, this may cost me my life. That's not, this is getting a little cultish. No, that's not Naboth. Naboth said, I'm willing to do what God wants me to do regardless of the consequences. And uh, that's the encouragement there with that thought. And then uh, we, we mentioned number two here, be content with what you have. And we, we, we see this in the life of Ahab. I mean, he had everything he could really ever want, except for one thing, the vineyard that was right next to his palace. And he thought, man, I'll be content if I just have that. And uh, he didn't get what he wanted, so he acted like a, a, a two-year-old. In fact, I know two-year-olds who handle this a little better than he did. Um, he just uh, had, a, had a rotten, stinking attitude and went and, and uh, got on his bed and and uh, turned away his face and would eat no bread. And they're like, hey, we got you, we got you your favorite meal, you know. We got you some, some ribeye with some A1 sauce with, uh, you know, green beans and some French fries and root beer. And he said, I don't want any. Like everybody knew something was up. And so they went and told Jezebel, hey, something's wrong with Ahab. He doesn't want his 
usual favorite meal. And so they... Um, so she went in, in verse number 5, and said, hey, what's going on? And then he went, and, and uh, verse number 6, you can, just, you can just tell the whiny's tone in his voice here. Because he spake unto Naboth the Jezreelite, and said unto him, Give me thy vineyard for money, or else if it please thee. And then he said, I will not give thee my vineyard. I mean, you can just you can just tell how you can just in your ma- in your mind imagine that's probably how he said it. Um, you know, like a little kid who didn't get his way. And then verse seven, Jezebel's like, "Hey, aren't you the king? Uh, you you can get anything you want. Like, make this happen. You're the king. Stop stop moping and and uh, you know start snapping your fingers and people will start doing things to get you this vineyard that you want." Well, uh, Ahab's whole bad attitude was because he wasn't content with what he had. And the encouragement there was for us to learn how to be content with the things that God has given us. All of us have things that, there's things that we would maybe want in our life that we don't have. Well, learn to be content with the things that you do have. Um, And uh, we all have a choice. Um, I said during the last time we went through this that, uh, we have a choice every morning whether we rise and shine or we choose to rise and whine about our life and about the things that we don't have. Oh, my health isn't what it used to be. I mean, I'm there. <laughs> um, I think I, 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 I don't know if this happened. This probably didn't happen last time but uh, that I preached this because it was recently I went home and, uh, and fell I know. I, I'm talking about a fall. <laughs> I've officially reached the uh, the age of elderly. I'm one of the elderly ones now. I'm officially that. I think now I've that that means that I'm part of the Noah group, not just honorary, but officially. Um, I fell, and the reason I fell is my 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 boys were playing uh, knockout or lightning with the new basketball hoop that we just got. And uh, when I got home, they were playing that, and I was like, well, I'm going to go and show them what's up. And so I get into it, and, um, and, and Luke shoots. So he's in front of me. Luke shoots, and he misses. And I'm like, this is my opportunity. And I miss it, but my miss was a little easier to get. And so I grabbed the ball, and I was going to go up and slam it because it was lower down. And then he came from over here and uh, tried to block me and put the ball in put his ball in before mine, and in doing so, he body-checked me really good right here, and I ended up falling, and, and, and my, hit my glasses off, and I ended up falling on the, on the concrete, and, and I, you know, I was like, I have fallen, and I can't get up. <laughs> that, that commercial was me, you know, and, you know, life alert, you know, where's my life alert thing? Uh, so I know I'm there, but but here's the deal: when we get up in the morning, and, and so now when I get up, I'm like, wow, how am I feeling like I'm 80 years old all of a sudden? Because um, it's it's happening um, now. Now we can we can have a choice. You know, we can wake up and go, well, I I wish I was in better health, and and obviously there are some things I can do about that. Um. Or I can whine and complain about, you know, my finances. Or I can whine and complain about uh, the things that other people have that I don't. We, we have a choice to do that. 
Or we can just say, Lord, I'm thankful for the things that I do have. Lord, thank you for this roof over my head. Thank you for the vehicles that I have. Thank you for my salvation. Thank you. And, and boy, once we start thanking the Lord, it will surprise us what the Lord has done. So uh, that's the encouragement there. Ahab failed to do that. Ahab was just focused on what he did not have instead of what he did have. I mean, he was the king. He had everything you could ever want. He had possessions. He had power. He had all kinds of influence. He had everything. And yet he chose to focus only on the thing that he didn't have. So we need to learn to be content. And then uh, number three, we saw that God sees and judges sin. And this gets a little more sober here because uh, it goes down through this passage, and I don't want to take the time to go through all of it uh, tonight, but Jezebel comes up with this conspiracy against uh, Naboth, and uh, it's executed to perfection. Naboth actually dies, and we found... Uh, we also saw that uh, in 2 Kings chapter 9, and verse 26, Jezebel also killed Naboth's sons since that land would have had to go to them. And so she was very thorough and very good at what she did and uh, went off without a hitch. And uh, Ahab finally is able to possess his vineyard, the one that he wanted so much. And yet, while all that was happening... God took notice of all that was going on. Even though uh, Jezebel and Ahab probably thought, hey, uh, this is going to work out great. Nothing can stop us now. Except for the fact that God saw all that was going on. And uh, we, reminded, we were reminded uh, last time that uh, our sin will indeed find us out. Adam learned that. Cain learned that. King Saul learned that. David learned that. And uh, take it from all of them, and now Ahab and Jezebel, that uh, even though you can kind of try to cover all your tracks and delete all your history and uh, do all that you do to cover it all up, um, the Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. There's a verse, and I've quoted it and, and pointed it out several times. Uh, it's not in my notes here, so let's see if I can find it. It's Proverbs chapter number... Oh boy, this is dangerous. Proverbs chapter number 20-something, I think. I think I know where it is in... Oh, uh, man. It's the verse that says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso... Confesseth and forsaketh shall find mercy. Anybody find that reference? Uh, it's a great one, but I don't have it written down. It's in the book of Proverbs somewhere. It's between Proverbs 1 and Proverbs 31. 28.13. Thank you. Thank you. Proverbs 28, 13, there it is. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Um, you can kind of try to cover it up and sweep it under the rug and, and do all you can do to try to, you know, cover your tracks and all the rest. But there's a promise here that says when you do that, you're not going to prosper. Try as you might, 
You're, you're not going to get away with it. You're not going to succeed. You're not going to prosper in that. But whoso decides that he's going to confess and forsake them shall have mercy. And obviously, that's what we all want. We want God's mercy because we're all sinners. We want God's mercy, so let's just be honest about it. And then not just admit that there is sin in our life, but abandon it, leave it, forsake it. All right? Uh, going back here to 1 Kings chapter 21. Thank you, Mrs. Duke. I appreciate that for saving the sermon. But we see that God sees our sin, but then he also judges it as well. And uh, the truth of the matter is, yes, as believers, you know, we're no longer in condemnation in Christ. I praise the Lord that our sins are covered in the blood. Uh, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't, as a father, love us enough to chasten us when we get into sin. I mean, my kids are my kids, and nothing's going to change that relationship. But, but according to the Bible, if I love my kids, I'm going to discipline my kids, right? And if I don't discipline them, actually, according to the Bible, I hate them. That, that's harsh language. But... That goes to show that as a child of God, when I get into sin, when I veer off course, God's not going to just let me do it and get away with it and, and uh, all the time. There's going to be some chastening at times. There's going to be some judgment. It doesn't mean that God's going to say, well, you're not part of my family anymore. It does mean, though, that occasionally there's some discipline that the Lord needs to administer in our life. And uh, He doesn't desire that, but that is, because he's a loving Heavenly Father, that is something that he does in our life. That's right. um, I Do I have time? Not really, but I'll share it anyway. Okay. And I think I've shared this once before, and a mental picture that none of you want to have and carry home with you tonight, but I will share it with you anyway. <laughs> and you may need years of therapy to get over this, but... Uh, when I was younger, um, hard to believe, but I gave my brother a hard time and ended up getting into trouble a lot because of it. I would sometimes beat him up because he, I was the older brother and that was kind of, I thought my job description. Okay. Well, one time my, uh, my, my mom said, okay, well, when your dad gets back, he's going to, he's going to, he's going to spank you. And I thought, okay, this is great. Well, um, a few days before, a few weeks before, my mom went to a garage sale, and at this garage sale, they, they had, in my size, a pair of shorts. Okay, but this pair of shorts was not like any other pair of shorts. This short pair of shorts was made of leather. <laughs> Again, you're welcome for the horrible mental image that you will never be able to erase from your mind. But I thought, and, and I didn't necessarily... Yes, right. <laughs> and so um, I, I thought, hey, this has kind of got some thick padding on it. And so I, as I went into my room, knowing that my dad was going to come in, um, I thought, you know what? I'm going to do a little wardrobe change. And so I got those shorts on, and, and then my dad came in, and he began to administer discipline and administer his uh, love to me. And, uh, and as, as he went down for the first strike, I was like, 
these are amazing. <laughs> this is the greatest invention ever. <laughs> and uh, he kept going on it. And then pretty soon I realized I better start acting like this is hurting. Otherwise, he's going to get the idea that this is protecting me. And so I began to cry. And it worked perfectly. And then finally, uh, I think the next time I, I tried it again, my dad's like, no, no, those aren't going to work. You need to make those disappear. And uh, so, but here's the deal. My dad loved me enough to administer discipline. And God loves us enough to administer discipline as well. And uh, I know it's not comfortable. I know we don't like talking about it. We like to talk about how, hey, we're forgiven. And, and uh, you know, as, as Christians, God is only loving. Well, yeah, but his love also shows itself in the fact that he disciplines his children. All right, so that's where we kind of stopped last week. Uh, next, let's look here at this thought here. Be careful about your influences. And uh, let's pick it up here in, uh, in verse number uh, 21. Here's part of the judgment that uh, Elijah was told to share with uh, Ahab here regarding uh, what took place. Verse 21, Behold, I will bring evil upon thee, will take away thy posterity, and will cut off uh, from Ahab him that pisseth against the wall, and him that is shut up and left in Israel, and will make thine house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah, for the provocation wherewith thou hast provoked me to anger and made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel also spake the Lord, saying, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Him that dieth of Ahab in the city, the dog shall eat. And him that dieth in the field shall the fowls of the air eat. But there was none. Listen to this verse here, and this is where I'm getting this thought. Um, but there was none like unto Ahab which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel his wife stirred up. And he did very abominably, verse 26, and all in following idols according to all things, as did the Amorites, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. So not exactly uh, a wonderful uh, biography of Ahab here. This is basically, you know, God's summary of Ahab's life. He did very abominably in following idols. Verse 25, there was none like unto Ahab which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord. Like, this is not, not, not something you want to strive for, okay? Uh, quite the opposite. But, uh, but I can't help but notice at the end of verse 25 where it says, whom Jezebel, his wife, stirred up. Hmm. Now, I realize that Ahab had the choice. He absolutely did. But there was an influence in Ahab's life, which according to the Holy Spirit of God, which inspired the word of God here, said Jezebel stirred him up to do these things. She was an influence. Okay, Ahab was a Jew. Ahab was a man who was raised with the Bible course, not the New Testament, but the law, the first five books of the Bible. And uh, he knew those things. He knew the culture. And, and somewhere back in his youth, Ahab chose 
to be around this young lady named Jezebel who ended up being a terrible influence in his life. Again, Ahab gets the credit for it, but the Holy Spirit does point out the fact that there was a negative influence in his life that propelled him to do more, stirred him up um, to do all these things. Now, again, I don't want to completely blame the influence here, but I think we can actually blame Ahab not only for the choices that he made, but also for the choice to have the wrong influence in his life. Because the scriptures are very clear regarding the importance of having the right influences in our lives. The Bible says in, verse, in 1 Corinthians 15.33, uh, Paul says to the church at Corinth, he says, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. He said, be not deceived. Don't think, oh, well, it won't happen to me. Or it won't happen to my kids. Be not deceived, Paul said. Evil communications corrupt good manners. And then Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, said this in Proverbs 13, 20. I did write this reference down. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but then a companion of fools shall be destroyed. And, and, I, and I think we find Ahab here in the last part of that verse, the companion of fools. He was a companion of a fool named Jezebel, and as a result, Ahab was destroyed. Now, I, I don't know, and we'll never know, if Ahab would have picked a godly wife, had he, would he have made those same choices? I think based on what the Bible says here in verse 25, probably not. At least not to the degree that he did. Um, and so here's the deal. Each of us has a choice as to who our closest influencers are in our lives. And Ahab chose the wrong one. And it had affected him in a very negative way. And so I don't want to understate the importance of making sure that you and I have good influences in our lives. I'm talking about the friends that we have, the uh, people we hang out with the most. I realize that some of you have coworkers who may not be the best influences ever. I get that. Um, so do I. I work with Blake. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm teasing. I'm giving him a hard time, and he's not even here. Um, no, we, I, I realize that not everybody has the, the, the blessing that, that I have to work with good, godly Christians who we want to encourage and sharpen each other and, and you know, provoke each other into love and good works. I, I realize that that does not describe probably your workplace. I get that. Uh, but we also have a choice as to who we're going to let be our main influences in our lives. Um, and certainly those of us who are moms and dads, parents, you and I have an obligation, a biblical responsibility to make sure that uh, our children have the best influences in their lives. Uh, to monitor those who they're hanging out with and developing relationships with. Um, 
Now, I realize that there are several in our church who uh, allow their children and, and decided to put their kids in public school. I know there's parents in our church who say, well, we're going to put them in Christian school. And then there's other parents who say, you know what, we're going to homeschool our kids. And I'm not saying one is better than the other. But I will say this, because um, I've seen all the different kids in, in all three of them do well for the Lord. And I've seen kids in all those situations turn out not good as well. Um, but I will say this with the public school system. Um, regardless of how you feel about the public school, uh, you need to at least admit that it's by and large uh, not, there's not, everybody in there is not saved. Not everybody in the public school system is the best influence. And so if you're going to allow your kids to be in public school, uh, be very careful about the influences, and you need to monitor that on a regular basis. Because the scriptures are clear regarding this. Um, I've seen it happen. It happened to me. I was in public school, and I didn't use bad language for the longest time until I kept getting around those who are using bad language. And sadly, in high school, I began to use that same language. It was because I was constantly bombarded by it. And so I, I'm, I'm just saying, be careful and, and guard against it. I'm not saying you need to change the school system that you're in. Um, follow the Lord's direction, obviously, in that. You need to follow the Holy Spirit's direction, but but if you're going to allow your kids to be in public school, just understand they're going to be exposed to things, and, and, and probably in Christian school too. They're going to be exposed to things. I remember as a public school in junior high and high school, we were talking about things that should never be spoken of. But we were talking about it like we knew what we were talking about, like we were experts in it. I was in, I was in sixth grade. And that was in the 19, late 1980s, mid, maybe mid-80s, oh boy. Here's the deal. Things have gotten so much better, haven't they? No, they haven't. And, and here, Ahab, I would probably go out on a limb and say, I don't know that he would have the judgment that he would have experienced had he married a godly lady. But because he married someone who encouraged him to sin, who thought it's no big deal to sin. In fact, let me encourage you and help you with it. Um, he ended up in the situation he was in. Also to parents, um, uh, uh, the teens aren't here tonight, but uh, this is kind of for them, but, but you can hear it too. Um, it's wise for Christian young people to never even consider dating someone who is not saved. It doesn't matter if they check all the boxes, if they're good-looking, if they're smart, if they're nice, if they're respectful, if they're... All those things are great, but if they do not check the saved box and going the right direction in a growing relationship with the Lord, then they're off limits. I realize that may not be how you did it. That may be... I, I know that may be extreme, but I don't... I think that's biblical. The Bible talks about how, you know, not being unequally yoked together with unbelievers. I don't know how you get past that verse by allowing 
young people to be involved with someone who's not a believer. It's, it's not wise at all. And, and uh, look what happened to Ahab. You know, he was part of God's chosen people, and uh, he ended up doing things that were, according to the Bible, he did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord like no one else. He did very abominably in following his idols, and Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up to do these things. And so I know these are hard things to say and hear, but they're biblical truth. And so your argument's not with me. Your argument's with the Word of God and the Lord. Hey, I didn't write it. I'm just reciting it. So don't shoot the messenger. Okay? I'm trying to help you. Trying to avoid some issues that will come up later in life. And I realize it's not popular. You probably won't hear this in a lot of churches. But it's biblical truth. So be careful of your influences, and I would also add to this, not just those people that you have hanging around you, but also the influences that come into your home through the screens. Uh, The big screens, the little screens, all the screens. Be careful of those influences, because they will make an impact. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Be not deceived. Don't think it won't happen to you or to your family. Don't be deceived. It does happen. So be careful about your influences. And then number five, last thought here. We'll wrap this up. Um, When confronted with sin, choose to respond in humility. When confronted with sin, choose to respond in humility. Let's pick it up in verse number 27 here. came to pass when Ahab heard those words that he rent his clothes, put sackcloth upon his flesh, and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went, and went softly. He humbled himself. Now, when confronted with sin, many people become extremely defensive. If you go to them and say, hey, look, I, I've seen some sin in your life, then the defense mechanisms come way up, and boy, are they uh, big walls, Right? They end up blame shifting. They, they minimize their sin. They downplay it. They deny that it was even sinful to begin with, that it was just a misunderstanding. If you want a case in point there, uh, we mentioned King Saul last time, uh, how he uh, thought that he could get away with sin. No, you can't. And when he was confronted, he totally downplayed it. He minimized it. He kind of said, look, I did this for the Lord. Uh, people, when they're confronted with sin, they claim that it was just a big misunderstanding. They claim the person confronting the sin is just being judgmental. They should just mind their own business. But notice here how Ahab responds when Elijah comes and confronts him regarding his sin. Again, in verse number 27, when Ahab heard those words that he rent his clothes, put sackcloth upon his flesh and fasted, lay in sackcloth and went softly. He responded in humility. He doesn't try to shoot the messenger saying, you're just a judgmental prophet of God. You just need to leave. Just go back and eat your, go back by the brook Cherith and enjoy your, you know, DoorDash over there. 
He didn't try to shoot the messenger. Instead, he humbled himself. Tonight, if you are in sin, can I encourage you to humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time? How many of you have, in the last seven days, okay, remember seven days uh, from tomorrow ago was Thanksgiving, okay? So how many of you in the last seven days had some pie? Would you raise your hand? Okay, most of us have had some pie. Most of us have had multiple slices of pie. I have had multiple slices of pie. I may have even had pies, plural, um, if you counted up all the slices. Uh, But there's one pie that uh, nobody likes to eat, and that is humble pie. It doesn't taste very good. In fact, if we would have had this at the teen dessert auction, you know, hey, we got some humble pie out, and teenagers would walk around and everybody would be like, no bids. Brother Randy would be like, come on, can I get $10 for this? Come on, it's for the teenagers still. Nobody wants to have humble pie. Do I have $8, $5? Somebody give something. Nobody wants it because it doesn't taste very good at first. But you know, the aftertaste of humble pie is pretty sweet. I know that the first bite of it, the first taste is a little bitter, but then as you let it settle, it becomes very, very sweet. Uh, When David was confronted with his sin with Bathsheba, he could have also gotten extremely defensive, but instead he chose to eat some humble pie. Here's what the Bible says after Nathan confronted him and said, Thou art the man. David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan said unto David, Well, the Lord... Also hath put away thy sin, and thou shalt not die. As a result of Ahab's humility here, notice what happens in verse number 28 and 29. The word of the Lord, after his humility, the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Seest thou how Ahab humbleth himself before me? Because he humbleth himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days. But in his son's days will I bring the evil upon his house. So judgment's going to still happen. The consequences are still there, but I'm going to show some mercy here and, and allow him to not have to see this happen in his life. So after Ahab died, the judgment regarding Ahab took place. And then of Jezebel, uh, that took place after Ahab's death. And that was God's mercy for Ahab. And God does bless and show mercy for those who are humble. Those who stiffen their necks and their backs and say, I didn't sin and it wasn't my fault and, and, and you're just being judgmental. There's not mercy for those. Remember the verse I tried to find? Um, Proverbs 13 no, 28.13, there we go, 28.13, Whoso covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh, that takes some humility to do that, shall have mercy. And here Ahab showed us what that was like. So some pretty serious lessons that we can learn in this passage here, and I hope that we'll not just hear them, but then now we'll go and live them out. Uh, Let's pray together, and we'll look at some prayer requests tonight. Lord, thank you for uh, the time now uh, that we've had together in your word. 
uh, looking at this uh, passage of Scripture. Father, I pray you'd help us to take to heart the lessons that, um, that we see in this passage. Uh, Lord, the importance of uh, being willing to obey you no matter the cost. Help us, Lord, also to learn to be content. Help us to remember that you do see our sin and judge it, even, even us Christians, uh, because you love us. And then, Lord, help us to really take inventory of the influences in our own lives, but also for those of us who have children in the home. Help us to take inventory of their influences as well. And, Lord, to monitor that and to lead them in the right way. And then, Father, I pray that you would also um, help us to be humble when we're confronted with sin. Every one of us including myself. Lord, from time to time, do fall into some type of sin. And, 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 and thank you, Lord, for the times when we're confronted with it. Help us, Lord, to show some real humility and to take a bite of that humble pie, knowing that the aftertaste is really sweet. When we have that fresh fellowship with you again, that, that closeness that had been missing for a while, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to have that spirit of humility in our lives. Well, thank you for all you do in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, let's take our uh, bulletin tonight and uh, look at some.